com. This is Community Radio, WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 in Bangor, and streaming worldwide at WERU.org. Stay tuned for Boat Talk. Good morning. Good morning. It's the uh, second Tuesday of the month. 10 o'clock in the morning here in the east coast of America anyway. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, and all around this wet world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is a call-in show for people contemplating things naval with your rusty anchor, Alan Sprague, here alone today, sailing solo. Mike Joyce, the other rusty anchor, is uh, in Florida right now, in Florida, delivering a boat. Um, we'll start off with a little story about that. A couple of, uh, well, excuse <clears throat> me, almost a, a month ago now, Mike um, got a call from one of his fishing buddies, a chance to do a delivery for uh, Mike. This time of the year, it's a little slow usually in the delivery season, so Mike jumped at the chance to make some extra money and found out that the delivery is delivering two tugboats, two nice old tugboats from Gloucester, Massachusetts up to uh, somewhere up the Mississippi River to uh, a tugboat hospital there somewhere. This, the uh, details of this, though, Mike found out were that one of the two tugboats was not able to run. The engines uh, were not going, so they had a tow one tugboat with the other tugboat from New Gloucester all the way down to, uh, well, they're at Port Canaveral right now. It took them eight days to get there. And uh, as they are arriving down there, they have found out now that the the generator on the boat that Mike is on, the boat that's being towed, is uh, not working well now either. So they are unable to tow that at night because you can't tow a boat, um, one that size anyway, without without having lights on it. So they're uh, either going to dump that boat and leave it in Port Cavanaugh and take the uh, the one running tugboat all the way around to Mississippi R- Mississippi River to get some work, or they're going to try to fix the uh, the generator and take them both around. Mike uh, said he might call in later on this morning, depending on whether or not he is uh, in cell phone range. So we may find a little bit more update on that story, but. Um, I can't imagine taking a boat this this time of year, especially from New, New Gloucester, towing it at night all the way down to Florida. I'm sure there's going to be some good stories coming out of that one. Um, if you have any good stories, too, we're going to be talking about animals and boats today on Boat Talk, pretty much. And if you have anything that uh, inspires you in that order, you can give us a call or talk about anything or even raise some questions to one 866 625 9378. That's 1 626 625 9378 is the call in number to Boat Talk. Going to um, first go about a little bit of news. We've been talking about green crabs quite often lately on the recent Boat Talks, green cab crab invasion of the coast of Maine and over in Nova Scotia, too. Green crabs are a, a very aggressive species of crabs that are um, decimating the shoreline along here. They're eating um, eelgrass and lobster bait and all kinds of baby clams. There's 
quite a bit of destruction that the green crabs are raising. So people have been uh, desperately trying to figure out what to do with this population boom of bad critters. And um, I noticed just recently in a newspaper from uh, Nova Scotia, the Halifax Herald has an article about a group of people who were... um, who are at St. Mary's University in Nova Scotia. They started up a company called Biomer Innovations, Biomer Innovations, and what they're doing is they're taking these green crabs and they've discovered that in the shells of the green crabs there is a uh, compound called chitosin, chitosin in the shells, and chitosin is like a uh, a natural plastic. It, when they extract the the chitosin, it becomes a biodegradable, biocompatible, non-toxic alternative to synthetic polymers, polymers such as are used in cosmetics, toiletries, and pharmaceuticals. And this chitosin is becoming quite uh, popular. The demand is uh, exceeding supply right now. They say the chitosin market is going to reach $21 billion next year. So, People are quickly trying to figure out how to grab all these crabs and make them into a a natural plastic. So maybe there is some hope for keeping this population under control. There's another fellow down in, I believe it's Brunswick, Maine, who has um, come up with a machine that actually mechanically separates the crab meat from the crab shells. The problem with crabs, the green crabs, is they're fairly small. So it's not very efficient to get uh, a lot of meat from them. But there's a fellow down in Brunswick now who's come up with a machine that will actually separate the crab meat. So it is, they say, quite tasty. I haven't tried it. Um, So maybe there is some hope for the the green crab invasion. I also want to tell you about the main Boat Builders show coming up down in Portland next month. It starts on Friday, March 14th and goes till. Sunday the 16th, Main Boat Builders Show. If you just Google Main Boats Builders Show, you'll find all kinds of information on that. They're going to be having lots of good uh, main built boats there to uh, to look at and talk with the builders, and you can kick the tires. They also have a great lecture series. There's going to be several uh, people giving talks on different subjects, a couple of whom are, one of them is uh, boat talk friend John Johansson, the editor of Maine Coastal News is going to be talking about remarkable boats of New England. That alone sounds pretty interesting. So that's the Maine Boat Builder Show next month, Friday, March 14th through Sunday the 16th. And uh, going to go, I think, uh, to some animal stories. If you have any particular animal and boat stories, give us a call. We'd like to hear it. one 625 9378 have a uh, an author who a uh, friend of Boat Talk sent the book to us to to read quite a while back. The boat the book is entitled um, "A Sea Dog's Tale." It's a story of about a, a family who got a um, a little dog br- 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 breed of dog called a shipper skipper key skipper key um, who. Uh, over the generations, these skipper keys have been raised to be um, 
boat dogs. They're fairly small, so they don't take up much space or uh, leave too much uh, detritus. Uh, skipper keys are raised, as I said, to be a, a boat dog, and they have some developed some pretty uh, amazing instincts. They're supposedly very good at navigating in the fog, telling the boat owner which way to go when you can't see anything. Um, obviously, they were invented before radar, but by uh, going up on the bow of the boat, they have, many of them have been many tales of how they can point their nose either to the port or the starboard, telling the uh, the boat driver which way to go. So we're going to be talking with a fellow who wrote a book all about uh, his adventures, his whole family's adventures with uh, Skipper Keys. And I'm going to tell you one quick animal story too uh, that sort of piqued my interest in doing an animal show last winter around the Christmas time they have the annual Christmas time bird counts and when I heard some announcements for that on WERU when they're going to be doing some of those events and they were looking for volunteers I wondered if they ever did um, or anybody ever did offshore bird counts if you've ever been offshore there's some pretty amazing birds out there that you just won't see on land except for um, <clears throat> by some sort of freak of nature, birds like shearwaters and kittiwakes that spend their whole lives out at sea, coming only to land just to uh, to nest and breed, and then back out to sea again. They, in the North Atlantic, especially where the water is pretty uh, pretty lumpy, to see these birds flying along just above the wave height and going up and down with the uh, waves and valleys is pretty amazing and. I wondered if their populations were going up and down like some of the other animals are now, too, with the stresses of uh, climate change. So I called up my good friend, um, Michael Good, Michael Good of Down East Nature Tours. And Michael um, is an gr- excellent, excellent birder and takes people out. And I asked him about... Uh, if there ever is such a thing as an offshore bird count. So, Michael, uh, we'll be talking with Michael a little bit later on about offshore birds, a little story I had I pre-recorded with him a while back. But first, I think we're going to go to uh, Peter Peter Muhlenberg phone call first and see uh, what he has to say about um, skipper keys on boats and also, I want to mention, too, the Maine Boats Homes and Harbors annual Boatyard Dog Trials happens uh, at the Boatyard uh, Maine Boats and Harbors annual in-water boats and home show. happens the second weekend of August every year. They have, an, on Sunday morning, a Boatyard Dog Trial where people who either have a, uh, a boatyard and a dog or maybe just a uh, live on the water and have a water dog. Somehow these dogs are um, entered into the main boatyard dog trials, and they have a contest which Mike Joyce and I are the MCs of every every year at the second Tuesday, second weekend of the month at Maine of August, the Maine Boats Homes and Harbors show. <clears throat> So anyway, as I was saying, um, we have uh, 
a story about Skipper Keys with our author Peter Muhlenberg. I believe Peter is on the line right now. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Well, glad to be here. Thanks yes. for having me. Yes, you've written a, an excellent book that uh, I had a chance to read a little over a year ago now. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, about uh, uh, skipper keys and, and boats, and let's uh, let's let's go right back to the very beginning first. Though the boat that you uh, you and your family and uh, your dog had the adventure on, uh, you built yourself. Is that correct? Yes, it was a Paul Johnson design, a forty-two foot gaff rig catch. Yeah, built on the beach. Fiberglass. You... And uh, we did a lot of sailing. Uh, once we got it in the water, we kept going. You uh, let's, let's talk about building. Uh, you built it on the beach down in St. John. Is that correct? Yeah, just back of the beach. We <laughs> had to push the boat across the road and into the water when we got it launched. And so, it was a good place to build a boat because it's pure distraction. Uh huh. Right, and good temperatures for kicking all the fiberglass too. Um, yeah, really. That was. A, how how big is the yeah. boat? It's uh, forty-two feet on deck. Six and a half deep and fourteen feet wide, and got a bowsprit. And it's a real salty looking boat. Got heavy pole masts. So it looks very much like a Colin Archer. Right. Design yeah. tradition. Rugged. Um, yeah. So you launched this boat and started out sailing around. Um, let's let's begin there. Well, we sailed the boat to the states first. It was pretty rudimentary down below. We didn't have doors or any of the rooms. And just a lot left to, to do. We did it in Beaufort, South Carolina, where we could get lumber really cheap if we were used to paying top dollar <clears throat> in the Virgin Islands. Yeah. But after that, we went back across the Bahamas, back to the U.S. Virgin Islands. Where we were chartering, and I did day sales and week-long, two-week-long sales to the islands. And then when we got a chance, we got away to cross the Atlantic. And had the, oh, I should say, where we got the dog. We got the dog in the States, in Ogali, which is near Melbourne, Florida. We came into an anchorage there and anchored to a beautiful little pinky that had on board seven dogs. <laughs> Five of them were puppies. And they just had them, and they were, they were looking to sell them. We fell for them. They were awfully cute little bear cubs. And Jean Gale, who was raising them, breeding them, told us about Skipper Keys, how they could even help the captain navigate and that sounds to me pretty unlikely. Everybody thinks their dog is really smart, except for owners of Irish setters. <laughs> but uh, this this dog brought it out in time. He's, when we were sailing in the Bahamas, we were trying to fetch my iguana. There was a tropical storm was brewing. We wanted to get some kind of shelter from it. We weren't in a very good position. And as we tacked up in the night, we didn't have a GPS in those days. We 
we needed a bearing. Coming behind Mayaguana, we didn't know how far out. It had been two days beating hard to windward. And the dog, who'd been miserable, doing it within the spray, he suddenly got to his feet and strained his nose into the wind and whimpered with desperation for sure. And he kept doing that. And it was clear to me that he was receiving input, probably olfactory, from the shore, rotten chicken legs and <laughs> swamp. So we, we short-tacked up the olfactory bearing following his nose and it got us right to the light, Bessie Point. We were able to relax. It was really good that the dog could tell us when we were downwind of the first piece of land. Oh, that's and pretty amazing. In, the, in Europe, I found out how they could be crazy with navigation in fog. They weren't so good in out at sea, but most of the skipakis were, were on canal barges in the low countries. Mm-hmm. And there you have a foggy morning, and the dogs would be up forward somewhere on the boat, and they have a compulsion to bark. One of the most distinctive things about them is typically they really bark. You have to deal with it. Be, be firm or else it will dominate you. But it has this usefulness of barking when the downwind dog smelled the upwind dog. He would bark, and then the dog upwind would hear that and bark back. So they had an echolocation sort of triangulation. Huh. And, you know, this is developed over many centuries. Hmm. They were been known as a distinct breed since the 1300s when they were mentioned in a priest's recollections about a, black, a little little black devil, which people do call them today still. They're really neat animals. The bark is useful, too, when you're going out at sea. It's like a man overboard alarm. Nobody can fall in the water, jump in the water, even at a beach or in a protected anchorage without the dog having a fit. Hmm. And it's a distinctive bark, which warning of somebody went overboard. So he's in my safety or somebody falling over. Um, so h- how many people did you have on board? Oh, we had four. Yeah. And we sometimes we had up to six. But just our family. Yeah, your wife and two children. Yeah. We had my dad. He was seven to seven. Oh. Across the Atlantic with us. And the dog was... Yeah, you know, and a 12-year-old. The dog was... was bristle up and growl when he heard or sensed a powerful engine, which he could sense from quite a ways away. And there was often this ship come out of the mist or fog. He could sense the... Yeah, before you could. They have a lot of intelligence with dogs. Huh. Their abilities can be put to use. Pretty amazing. Um, so you you sort of have to train yourself to to uh, realize what the different sounds that these animals are making. Yes, right. You have 
when you have to endure a lot of barking. <laughs> yeah. If you work hard and work with a dog, you can get amazing results. They've got sensory apparatus They're in hospitals and their ears that are way in excess of ours. Yeah. So you went to some pretty pretty amazing places. Uh, you the dog's name Santos, right? Yeah, Santos. Yeah. yeah. Um, you and, and Santos and your family went to some uh, some pretty interesting places over in, in Africa, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, Africa was interesting. We went up the Gambia River. It's a river that is navigable for about 250 miles up into the Sahel. Wh- which river is this? The savannah of Africa. The savannah. The west coast mm-hmm. where Africa comes to the furthest bit west in Cape, Ver- Cape Verde. Yeah. We went around Cape Verde and into the riverways. And we could get up to places that very few gods had been. And the dog was a constant source of attention from people because they knew about animals. They lived with animals, not all of them friendly. And they'd be fascinated by the dog. We'd tie him up at a little store and go inside. And when he'd come back out, there'd be 30 people there trying to figure out what Take him down below because 
He wasn't listening to his master's voice when the higher authority called him. The tradition of Kibbutz being as fanatical as an Israeli general. But one 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 day he saved saved the day for uh, died on a boat. A Dutchman, a very nice stainless folding steel bicycle. And he had people try to rob it. And to save that, he chained it to a tree. And we were off at a demonstration we were having trying to get more water and more electricity. And everybody in the arena went to the, the office where the relevant officials were. And they were demonstrating there, trying to get some improvement. And everybody was gone, except one guy, a British fellow who was a powerful drunk. He would come home every night late and wake up in the morning with a headache. Hmm. And he heard dog Santos barking on and on. Didn't stop. We'd always stop him if we were on board. But we were on board. He was barking, and finally this guy jumped out of bed half naked, grabbed a machete, and ran out onto the deck. And there he saw two teenage gypsies with a hacksaw sawing at the uh, chain to get the spike. And when they saw Roger show up with machete in his hand and his crazed look on his face. But he dropped everything and ran. <laughs> and Santos stopped barking and looked over to Roger. And Roger, who disliked the dog, up till then, because of his barking, was won over. Uh. And everybody, he became the mascot to the dock. And it was interesting. He made his mark in Seville. Seville, yep. That's that's a good story. Um, you you lost Santos one time. That must have been yes. really scary. Twice. Twice. Okay. It was the first time was off the coast of Venezuela. We've been in the islands to the north of the coast, which are great diving, but there's not much there for a dog like Santos. Salt is astringent to his nostrils. And birds don't attract him much. But he was glad we were getting out of there and heading for Venezuela and Maine, which is mountains and great smell and lots of other dogs. And he, in the morning, we saw land. It was getting about five miles away. And he got to the bowsprit in a very untenable position, whimpering just frantically for land. Of a hyperzog, and I called him back twice from the bowsprit. I should have put him down below. But I went down to get something, came back up, and no dog. He'd gone overboard. He's swimming for sure. We figured we weren't going fast enough. Mm-hmm. And we, we, we searched, couldn't find him. So we got into the port and talked to the dockmaster of the yacht club there, Puerto Azul. Said if you speak to the 
dog, don't you worry, Donnie. Let us know. Don't don't destroy him. He belongs to somebody. And he was a great swimmer. He might swim ashore. So Doc Master agreed. And an hour or two later, he came shouting down his steps from his little office diary. And you'll never believe it. You'll never believe it. What was it? I called up the boats out on a fishing tournament. And the last boat to report in said they caught nothing but a little black dog. <laughs> it must be yours. There can't be two of them out there. And he spent some time in the water. Deep, with a fair sea rolling. And. Must have seen the whole of his life pass before it died. Yeah. One time we lost him, and another time was in Africa, where the current shifted in the river, and it came accelerated to four knots about coming down the, on the ebb. And the anchor we put out, we'd come to shore, tied up to another boat, to get water, we had access to Peace Corps, a Peace Corps-driven well. It was safe water. So we were going up to the river for a month, so we wanted to fill up our tanks. And in the middle of the night, the, the tide shifted. The tide started, and it was putting a tremendous strain on our vessel, which is tied up stern to the, the uh, current. We had to cast loose and turn the boat. It was tough because there was a bridge and electric wires, high high tension. But it was in a way, we barely managed to get out with our lives. We hit the wires, but we had control of the boat and we were able to get back up. And Santos been hit by this stream of sparks. It's like a fireworks with the boat mass dragging against the boat's wire. And Santos went overboard with sparks in his coat. So we went and searched for him then at 1 a.m. We couldn't get any response. So we assumed the dog was dead, but my wife didn't. She was determined. She loves animals, and she was very fond of Santos. So she went and put signs up around in the tourist hotels and on telephone poles and went and told the police who had a substation at the bridge that we were at to keep an eye on traffic and whatever. And they had been quite friendly to us. We told them, then we left. We went up, we got the damage done, repaired, and we went up the river for a while, and we were anchored off Georgetown, about 150 miles up, when a catamaran veered off its course and headed for us. It's the only other yacht we saw on the river. He said, are you the Americans that lost a little black dog? Santa said, come get him. Santa was a, a, a Samba, sorry. Samba was a agent for yachts, self-appointed. But he was helpful in this case. We hitchhiked down 
the main highway through the town and get to the police and the police said, oh, good. You come for your dog. They sent a little boy, small boy off. That's the common messenger in Africa. And he went to the fisherman who had adopted Santos from ashore somehow. And the police gave him, well, I start again. Pretty, uh, pretty long and uh, and adventure-filled life that dog had. Um, unfortunately, your book, um, as most dog stories go, the last chapter is always sad. But your yeah. um, your 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 kids too have a quite a, um, a well. I guess I'll say good time for them to. Uh, yeah. Well. There was some question as to whether we were doing them a disservice by raising them in remote areas and doing homeschooling a lot of the time. But they loved loved the sailing. Mm-hmm. Still look back very fondly on it. And it didn't hurt them academically. Dorothy is a teacher, and she was responsible for their homeschooling. And they did pretty well. The oldest boy, Raffi, went to Dartmouth and then to Harvard Law School. And the younger son is finishing up his fellowship in cancer surgery at the Moffitt Center in Tampa. Huh. So, so, yeah, I'd say you did pretty well by them. Well, they think so. Yeah. Um, many years ago on Boat Talk, we had a, a listener call in who uh, was interested in having a, a a dog on their boat, and they said... How do you housebreak, uh, quote unquote, uh, a, a dog on a boat? Well, we we went all out. We put newspaper down for the dog and we made the connection between his business and the newspaper. But the connection was in reverse. He avoided the paper like the play. <laughs> Dingy in the corners of the boat and was still under construction. But he fertilized the sawdust. We finally got him to use the paper and left him up on deck. And we had to take him ashore regularly. Once he could count on going ashore at a certain time, he was good. He didn't make any mistakes hardly ever mm-hmm. afterwards. He was scrupulous about it. We'd take him ashore and chase the lizards and have a grand old time and do his business and we go. But we we got him from a, a resident of Maine. She listens to your show and really was enthused about it. Probably telling me how great it was. She this Jean Gale. Jean Gale, yes. She's... Anybody would like to have a skipper key. She's got six. She's just read the uh, uh, five weeks. I'm not sure how old they are. They're, they're young. They're getting ready to be given to people or sold to people. They gave us ours because we didn't have any money. They wanted to have Antos on bread. Yeah. She lives in Belfast. And yes, she does. She probably 
Jean Gale, yes, um, I sent her an email that we were going to be talking with her, and she said she was going to try to listen. So she she actually may be listening, and she might. Oh, yeah, I think she may well be listening. Her phone number, if anybody out there wants to get a cubic key, you couldn't get a better source for it than Jean. She's crazy about the dog. Number is 207, area code, in Maine, 338-1031. 1031. Okay. So, so I've got to plug in for her. She, she, she gave us samples while they were on a cruise with the, with the puppies. Yes. We were going down towards the Bahamas. We were going up towards North Carolina. Can see how that could be in. It's just in, your major. Yep. You got to deal with. If the dog has room outside, to be in a countryside setting, okay. To a, but if you're in an apartment, you have to schedule your walk. Well, Peter, um, we have another phone call that we need to get to. So, thank you very much for talking to you, and let's let's uh, give some information on on your boat or on your book that you've written about this adventure with Santos. Yeah. available on Amazon. I've checked that out. Yes, it's available on Amazon and you can write directly to us if you want it. Okay. All right, we'll uh, put all that information up on our um, Boat Talk website, boattalk.org, and there's a picture of a skipper key there also for anybody who wants to see just what these boats look like. But thank you very much, Peter Muhlenberg. It's been good talking to you, and uh, best best of luck in the future. Thank you, Peter. Okay, well, that's uh, one animal and dog, um, animal and boat story. And we're going to be going to some other phone calls here in a minute. I believe uh, we have somebody on the line right now. Yes. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Hi, this is Jean Gale, the other Skipper ah, Key fanatic. Hello, it's Jean. Welcome to Boat Talk. Uh, I have uh, a couple of corrections to uh, Peter's story. Uh, first is the uh, boat that I was on was a schooner, not a pinky, and her name was Silver Girl. Minor correction. Mm-hmm. Um, second, um, I have had skipper keys for 35 years, and I've never had a lot of trouble with barking. So I think 
there's a lot of variability in animals, just like there is in people. And um, then I want to um, give some tips about um, how to housebreak a dog on a boat. And um, what we did, um, my dogs were already adults when I moved on board. First, I had the first one named Winnie the Pup, who was like Santos, a chip off the old block. He was extremely smart and fastidious. So um, what you do is you feed your dog uh, meals for a day or two that are high in salt, and then they have to drink a lot, and then they have to pee a lot. And then you, you decide uh, where the, the dog is, you know, what your arrangements are going to be, and the uh, training is, is pretty instant. And what I did was I got a welcome mat, the kind that has the fake top-looking grass on it that right. you wipe your feet on, Mm-hmm. And I put a grommet in a corner, and I put that on the fantail of the boat and just literally told him, you have to pee, this is where you go, and that was the end of that. And then when he's finished, you just wash it overboard. But I don't tell the EPA, of course. Right, right. Yep. And then I had a, a time, one time, when um, Winnie the Pup was a year and a half. My friend and I were delivering uh, Rasmussen Catch down to Florida, and it was brand new and had teak decks. And this little dog had never been on a long boat trip before. And I, uh, I, I sneaked him on board. The owner was pretty astonished when we woke up in Norfolk the next day and there was a dog on board. But anyway, <laughs> so what I did there was I just got a, a bucket of uh, water, wet the decks, told the dog, you have to go. This is where you go out. And he did it right there. And, of course, it didn't um, soil the deck because of the uh, water. Mm-hmm. Rinse it all off. So you're able to so wash it right off. they're very smart about these things. Yeah. So smart dogs are a good thing. Um, Peter mentioned you had some uh, pups for sale? Yeah, I got uh, six and a half week old, uh, three of them. They're not uh, so, uh, related to Winnie the Pup in Santos as far as I know. Uh, of course, all skipper keys are related because there's not very many of them. But you never know. Uh, you get one on your boat, and um, he might end up being that smart. And and I think, from my experience, that if you keep a, a dog, you know, like nowadays, they're always leashed, and they're always uh, under wraps all the time, and they get left uh, home while the owners are working for 10 hours a day. They don't tend to be very smart. But if you have a dog on a boat, and you're going places and meeting all kinds of people and having all kinds of adventures... They can be really smart. So I think that helps. Yeah, I think a smart dog does help for sure. Or a smart animal of any sort, really. Um, um, So thank you, Gail. It's been uh, really good talking to you. And why don't you give your phone number for anybody who's interested in the skipper keys? 338. 1031 and uh, 207 for Maine if you're from away. 338 1031. I have one other story about the barking. Um, When I got my first Skipper Key Winnie the Pup, who was Santos's dad, I was working at home as a writer and he was with me 24 7. And I talked to him a lot. And about um, a couple years later, I would use the same phrase for things like, do you want to go out and take them out? Stuff like that. 
he learned to speak three sentences in English so well that complete strangers could understand. And one time when we were um, uh, cruising, a couple came over for a cup of coffee, and we were all down below, and the, the, the dog Winnie the Pup went over to the companionway and said, Oh, I will go out. <laughs> and the, uh, they can't say the consonants because they don't have a human mouth, but they can say the intonation and the vowels very well. And um, the guests were so astonished. He said, that dog just asked to go out. And I said, of course. He's a skipper key. Huh. They can speak English. <laughs> very good. All right. Well, oh, thank you, Gail. We have a, another phone call to get to. So right. I appreciate your story. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Um, had a, a phone call from um, a, a fellow I wasn't expecting to hear from talking about uh, our Funathon uh, supporting community radio. Let's go to this one. Hello, this is Ferdinand Magellan. I'm going to tell you, I've been all around this globe looking for the great radio stations, and WERU FM Blue Hill is world class. That's why I'm calling 1-800-643-6273. WERU is real radio by real people, and the music and public affairs shows are all encompassing. It's a whale of a station, and it's non-commercial, too. That's why we add drops to the bucket to make oceans of great programming that tides us all together. The shipmates like WERU so much, we rate it best in the most smiles per gallon category. That's why the mateys will be pledging their doubloons by calling 1-800-643-6273 just as soon as they figure out how to use a telephone. Thanks for supporting Worldwide Community Radio, and I'll see you next time around. All right. That's Ferdinand Magellan, a supporter of Community Radio. I'm going to go to uh, Mike now. I believe Mike is on the phone. Good morning, Mike. Where are you? Good morning, Alan. Hey, there you are. Um, let's go. I briefly told the story of you delivering these uh, two tugs down to Florida. Why don't you uh, just go into the details? Oh, we uh, heard about this through a fishing captain buddy from Gloucester, Massachusetts, and we took a research trip down there a couple of Thursdays ago and, and uh, met this captain who was a little frustrated at the time and basically gave him a get-out-of-jail-free card and the next Monday morning, he cashed it, and it was drop everything and pack your sea bags in about two hours and uh, prepare to, you know, ship out for uh, unlike the time. So, uh, Seguin is towing Penobscot. They're two old Navy YTBs. Seguin is a 70s era boat. Uh, Penobscot's from the 40s, from World War II, and uh, Penobscot is uh, going to the shipyard in Mobile, Alabama. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see today, but I've been riding that one and being towed by the other one, and, uh, we spent a uh, quality uh, week uh, living in uh, uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts. Uh, Alan, you wouldn't believe the uh, oh, what a great uh, Gloucester Marine Railway there. What a cool place that is. And we spent about a week uh, being boat builders before we uh, get the boats ready for sea before we were able to untire. 
And I tell you what, buddy, uh, missed you. You would have, you would have uh, loved some of this uh, uh, boat building stuff we had to do. We had to bed some hatches outside at uh, 16 degrees, blowing wind, covered with uh, rust, oil, oh, yeah. uh, diesel, uh, old silicone. Uh, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah. And uh, all we got to do is keep a, you know. Put a seawater rolling over the deck out, and uh, it, it was nuts. But uh, we did uh, it. And, of course, uh, you guarantee your work, too. Oh, man. And then we had to open them and do them again. And I tell you, the first one, when we reopened them, I was quite proud of the way it turned out. It was, <laughs> the smoke builder's nightmare. You wouldn't believe it. And we landed on these boats down, and, and the one uh, Penobscot here is, was uh, frozen, unpowered, cold, dark. And the first thing this uh, Alaska captain, fishing captain, did was let us down into the cold, dark, greasy engine room with a flashlight and started going, this is not that fast we're going to do. It was like, whoa! Because this is a 100-foot tugboat, 98-foot tugboat, you know? And uh, the scale of the thing is uh, a little outsized of the yachts that we're used to, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So anyway, I uh, spent the week just getting things ready, endless detail, and finally untied her, uh, what, two Fridays ago, and then eight days from... Uh, Gloucester, Massachusetts, to Port Canaveral. We ducked in here having a generator problem on the other boat that uh, maybe was solved yesterday. And I tell you what, we stole it down the coast for weather-wise. Uh, really had fairly gentle conditions. This boat ride, so sweet. Never pounded once, being towed. And uh, not bad duty with the autopilot. 600 feet ahead of you, you know. Make sure it's still there, the generator's running, lights are on, and she's not sinking, and, you know, that was most of it. And, uh... The fellow who was with me was on his first trip. That was a, uh, he had one of the experiences of his life, but it was without, not without uh, some learning curve, you know. So it was, uh, like I say, uh, pretty cool all the way around. We landed in Port Canaveral here, and I'm looking right now at a pair of dolphins uh, off my bow. Got pelicans flying by the pilot house window here. I got a brim, and, and the pelicans fly with the wings under the brim. I could, I could grab one without even reaching and uh, there's a cruise ship right in front of me coming in. They are going back and forth and back and forth. You wouldn't believe these things. Um, you talk about uh, big and, and uh, the coolest thing is they're lined, all the decks are lined with people that just want to wave to somebody. And we're the coolest boats in sight. So, uh, like I say, we're right in between two bars and struggling here. It's going to be 78 degrees here down. <laughs> 78, yeah. It's yeah, a little hot for the work. we got, got, you know, nothing but work to do here. And we may, uh, believe, be going back out to sea tonight. Uh, probably, uh, possibly, I'm not sure what the current plan is, but uh, possibly six days to Mobile, Alabama, or more like nine-plus to Galveston, Texas, with a threat of a barge in Trinidad in the future of that. So you're going to have to get by without me for a little while, but I'm a little nervous leaving you alone there. Yeah, yeah, I get all the limelight. No, you won't miss me pretty quick. <laughs> my cool. I'm nervous about. Well, uh, I'm sure you're keeping a journal, and we're going to catch up on the uh, boattalk.org website with some... Uh, oh, I'm working on some stuff. Yes, I am. And I tell you the good thing about being out to sea for uh, uh, eight days straight, and I was, I was doing uh, 12-hour watches, eight to eight, and then do another one in the day, you know, and... and uh, so anyway, 12-hour watch at night, uh, you got time for some big thoughts. You know what I'm saying? Plenty of time for big thinking. All right. You know, we've, done, we've done some, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. And um, we got this uh, other fellow aboard here, Ever. Ever is a Jamaican, and Ever is going to be the new captain of uh, this tug when it gets down there. 
and uh, Ever is is uh, an extraordinarily cool fella. Uh, he's an engineer. He's a captain. He's a uh, he started uh, going on pilot boats when he was a teenager, and Ever used to be known for roller skating on deck. Okay, great. Because he's like I say, uh, you know, that graceful, pretty cool dude, and uh, he had a tugboat sank out from under him one time. And it has turned into part of the plot of the movie, The Curious World of Benjamin Button, which I've seen, but I can't remember. But apparently there's a scene in there of a tugboat sink, and that was Ever's story in mm. that movie. Ooh. Huh. Yeah. So there's going to be more there. Mike, we have another phone call, so I, I'm going to uh, cut you oh, off. Oh, drop me like a hot rock, buddy. Yeah. I uh, uh, can't make up the name of the cruise ship, but she's about to blow her horn and, and spoil your... Uh, you know, noise there anyway. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, we're looking for the uh, the uh, the update on this story when you get back. Uh, working on living it, Alan. All right. You know. Stay warm, Mike. All right, going to go to another phone call. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk. Yeah, hey, Al, Johnny. How you doing? Hey, Johnny. Uh, it's a good combination of uh, dogs uh, swimming and uh, towing. Um, there is an incredible website and uh, uh, of the Italian School of Water Records. Uh, the very, very big organization. Uh, they're international. They uh, train dogs for water rescue, mainly the uh, the newfies, but but also there's some labs involved. Great pictures uh, of them diving out of uh, out of helicopters, and and uh, they've saved over a hundred. Uh, a major, major source of water rescue are these dogs in Italy, and it's uh, uh, going around the world. And uh, speaking of uh, dogs and towing and, and everything else, uh, there was one uh, story there of a uh, of a newfie that towed a boat with thirty five people in it. A newfie. A newfie. Yes. So they're not uh, really water dogs, really. But mm. yeah. So it's the Italian School of Water Rescue Dogs. Great website, and uh, just shows what what powerful uh, swimmers they are, and uh, what what great great friends. Great, great. And oh. let's let's also mention that you are the host of Dog Talk here on Community Radio. No, that's well, yes, yes, that's true. I'm a dogaholic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when does that show come on? Uh, that'll be coming on on the 27th at 10 o'clock. And uh, this time I'm going to be interviewing uh, uh, two, the producers of a, uh, of a documentary about uh, police officers uh, killing dogs. And, uh, Ooh. Yeah, so it's an important one. Yeah, that doesn't sound so good. All right. <laughs> well, I'm... woof to you. All right. Thank you, Johnny. Yep, for... take care. Um, we have a... a, a, a person who called up and made a, a donation to uh, keep WERU going, a person who called up 1-800-643-6273 and made a pledge to the station. Thank you goes out to Jerry with the Down East Museum in Harrington. Jerry made a renewal for the Down East Museum in Harrington, says he lives for the programs. Thank you very much, Jerry. And we're just about up against the wall here at Community Radio on Boat Talk. I didn't get to some of the things I wanted to talk about, like um, what happens when bird, land birds get blown off by uh, storm winds and end up having to land on boats because they have no other place to land. There's some pictures of that that are going to be on the uh, Boat Talk website of warblers and, and sailing. And uh, didn't get to tell you about... Uh, the early days of carrying guano, too, but that's another story, too. We'll get around to that a little bit some other time here on Boat Talk. Stay tuned for 
Rich Hillsinger coming up next with On the Wing here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor, around the world at WORG. This is Alan Sprague for Boat Talk. Thanks for supporting Community Radio, and stay dry. I used to buy the pins of boat and I used to buy the sail, sir. I used to buy the pits of fish and take some home to lie, sir.